Hello, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Emotional Alchemy Podcast. Before we get into our conversation today, I want to share that the doors for Business Alchemist Mentorship are now open. I created this program to help space holders step toward their in-person or online businesses as a spiritual practice. I know you have medicine you want to share with the world, and honestly, this is why I feel so passionate about this work as a business mentor. It makes my heart feel expansive and warm when I think about how different this world would be if you, as a pattern breaker and as a change maker, felt empowered about sharing your work with your community. It's my way of shifting the tide of extractivist, capitalistic ways of existing. I will be your guide so you can explore the emotional blocks that keep you spinning in circles, and I share practical nuts and bolts principles that will keep your business humming along. We try to keep a solid balance of yin and yang around here. This program is centered on safety, intimate connection with community, and moving at the pace of trust, nature, and purpose. The curriculum and coaching I share is framed on the backdrop of my experience as a trauma-informed practitioner. If you're feeling curious, go check out my website, businessalchemistmentorship.com. We will begin this next cohort in mid-June, and it will be the only time I'm running it in 2024. I recently did an entire overhaul of the curriculum and felt that it needed a whole year to move through instead of the nine-month program it used to be, and I'm keeping it at this nine-month price one last time before I raise prices in 2025. Again, the website is businessalchemistmentorship.com, and I would love to have you join our community. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Today I have kind of an unusual guest for our audience. I've got Kristen Humphrey here and she is the owner of a wine bar in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, It's called Moselle and it is so adorable, first of all. like (laughs) She slings wine out of a converted... Is it a bus or a truck? Like, I can't quite tell from the pictures. It's, it's a like an trailer that's made okay. to look like an old Lamont uh, yeah. like vintage truck. Yeah, it's so cute. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, she's a bit of an unusual guest for us. But for me, when I think about business being a spiritual practice, it really doesn't matter if you are a coach or a tarot card reader or somebody who is, you know, as a sommelier, making people feel happy through wine. And um, the spiritual aspect of business is really more about how the business invites you into looking at some of the scary parts of your life and you know, confronting some of these moments in your life that have felt really challenging and hard and how that shows up in your business in a bit of an unconscious way. And Kristen happens to be my first unofficial business coaching client. Surprise! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When we first started working together, I was a bit more of like a generalist relationship type of a coach and we started working together and at the end she was able to give birth to her little wine bar baby Mm -hmm. and 
Um, I, we got to just check in momentarily before we hit record and Wine Bar Baby is starting to grow and expand. <laughs> and well, we'll I thought <laughs> <laughs> some of the things that we're going to cover in our, in our talk is going to be about how fears and confronting fears and sitting with your fears has developed and um, helped you lean into your business. And then also Kristen has just a beautiful story around pregnancy and um, she had a pretty difficult early childhood for, for little Elizabeth um, who had to spend several months in the hospital and how that has actually threaded its way into your business. So mm-hmm. welcome. welcome, welcome. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> Excited to tie all of those loose ends together because it sounds so wild when you put it like that um i know i know yeah i'm excited to tell my story it's it's i'm so grateful to be here like i was saying right before i can imagine someone who has created a safer space for me to just be really authentic and essentially that's what helped me get here period (laughs) Mm. oh it's such an honor to be on this side of it with you did I miss anything in that intro? Is there anything you want to add? I feel like <laughs> that's like one of my favorite things about introducing on a podcast is like I just to get to like gush and just like sit mm-hmm. here and like love on my guest. And I've got a lot of love for you, girl. Oh, thank you. I mean, the feeling's so mutual. And yeah, I mean, what I think what happened with you is like I was in a point where I had I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression around um, just being a mom and being a partner and trying to like find footing. And what you came in and did was not like teach me the way to find truth. You, you didn't tell me all, there was this set of rules that that would help me find myself. You just showed me that I already had all of those answers. And um, I just had to like, really take a hard look at who I was and what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Can we actually start there? I think that's a really good place to start is, you know, the anxiety and depression that Mm -hmm. you were experiencing. What was that like for you? Um, At this point, I'm so bad at time. That's Um, okay. I don't even know how long ago that was. I know the timeline. I think we started working together maybe two years ago. And it was a six month program. And then as like almost as soon as I finished, it was like everything just started aligning in a, in a very strange way. It was like, I did all this crazy hard work that was constant, like constantly like sort of like a gut punch of reality over and over. (laughs) And then once the work sort of started setting in opportunities really began presenting themselves in ways that I could say yes to, whereas before I might've just missed them altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the anxiety was coming on really hard, um, and I didn't have an explanation for it because things were happening. Like my daughter was safe and healthy. Finally, I had met a man who was treating me very well. We were all living together, um, like this really loyal and loving partner and a happy, healthy daughter. And for whatever reason, I like was just so miserable sad um having a really hard time accepting all of these really good things in my life um and I think I just needed to be honest about what got me there and attempting to assess 
my own needs just felt so out of reach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think a lot of folks will resonate with is, and I certainly resonate with that from an earlier time in my life of like, I've done all the things, like I got all the pieces in place, like, Mm -hmm. there must be something wrong with me, if I'm not happy with all this external structure that's in place now. And, you know, oftentimes, when we sit with those sensations, and especially for you, because Elizabeth had just been born, what was that, three years before? And mm-hmm. she had had such a rough start in life. Mm-hmm. You guys spent a lot of time in NICU. And so in nervous nervous system speak, mm-hmm. it's like complete activation beyond what most parents um, have to go through in the first several months of their child's life. And then like running on that activation for so long And then when your world starts slowing down and things sort of start to like land in place, your nervous system just didn't know what to do with that. It was so used to being in chaos. And so it continued to look for threats and how things are going to go wrong and there must be something wrong. And if there's not anything wrong, then there must be something wrong with me. And, you know, sort of. Sorry, it just I just like agreeing completely that there's a deep sort of belief. And I think what I keep coming back to and when I'm in struggle, where I tend to go to is like that I am not good, mm. that I struggle with believing that I'm good, that if anything good was happening, then it probably couldn't be trusted. Mm. And, you know, I think that's kind of a human condition to live from a place of shame. Um, yeah. um it's just very different now <laughs> because I can yeah. watch that narrative take place and I can, I'm always going to wake up every day and be me. My patterns will probably repeat. I will probably have these same conversations with myself, but I get to choose if I witness it with curiosity and compassion and like love for myself, mm-hmm. or if I just fall right back down that same spiral of like unworthiness. And I don't know. I think I'd like to tell a little bit more of like, my story if that's okay to help it make a little bit more sense yeah let's put some context into it yeah for sure I um was very like just adventure seeking and fun and bouncing from Arizona to California to Europe like living in LA working with Red Bull what's what's the next party what's the next drug I can take what's the next um I don't know new place I can get to where um Yes, I love fun and stimulation is really a good time. There's nothing wrong with fun, but when it's not rooted in anything and I don't ever have to stop and look at myself and take stock and I keep choosing people that maybe won't see me all the way, then I never have to look at myself all the way. Mm. So I feel like I was in that place of go, go, go. Don't stop. Don't take stock. And I just allowed the wrong people into my life and I ended up pregnant and alone. And I mean, it is up to everyone to have to make that decision for themselves. You know, what choice to make in that situation. And I just, I just felt like life was finally saying like, it's time to stop. It's time to slow and it's time to look. Mm -hmm. And for the first time I had an opportunity to care about something more than like this ego driven life that I was living 
which was wonderful and great. And there was nothing wrong with me then. I just didn't know there was more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I really just got knocked on my ass. Like uh, the guy wanted nothing to do with me. <laughs> I had to move home and leave this life. I was living by the ocean in LA County. Um, and then I went into labor at 24 weeks and was like in a helicopter all of a sudden, like they're stopping my contractions. My baby was born at one pound and two ounces. Um, I was pumping every three hours and spending, you know, sleepless nights and sleepless days in a hospital for four months, um, which is really uh, sounds terrible. Right. It was really awful, but um, it's the only time I stopped. <laughs> it was like my pandemic happened first before, the, before it happened to the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was forced to just wash my hands really well, <laughs> sleep as much as I could and sit alone in a room with be- beeping lights and blinking monitors and a tiny little squirrel tucked into my shirt like all day long. <laughs> So if you don't self-assess in that moment, like, I don't know what, what, what would get me there. I mean, mm. it was really just like taking stock of what I valued and I could see how I was reaching for joy and like fulfillment outside of myself when like, really, if I could stand in a patch of grass with sunshine on my face and hold a healthy baby, like that would have been such a fulfilling, rich, joyful experience that would be available to me yeah. without adding anything to it. Yeah. So it was like building my life back after I almost had to like die in a way and completely grieve a life that I thought I was going to have and start fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to take a pause there and, um, land on I needed to die in a way what parts of you did you feel like you needed to grieve and hold a ceremony for and hold a funeral for I think it's easy to look at all these changes and look back at the person I was and judge her and tell her Mm. you're wrong for wanting those things you're wrong for surrounding yourself with people who treated you poorly. But what you taught me actually um, is to come back with this term, like, of course, you know, of course I was there. Of of course I was making those choices. I was never really pushed in a way that would help me to choose something different. And Mm -hmm. so when I look back at her, it's like, I need to honor the things that she wanted because she didn't know what she needed. You know, Mm -hmm. so I love fun and adventure. And that is still very true. I own a wine bar. (laughs) I mean, that (laughs) didn't go away, but um, I needed to die to like maybe an egoic part of me that thought that was going to make me worthwhile. Getting Mm -hmm. to the coolest party, being around the right people, wearing clothes. I mean, things that really had power over me and sound so silly to say out loud, but truly have power over a lot of people. This is what we yeah. find value in. It's what we immediately judge one another based on. And, yeah. yeah. All these external markers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's that, of course, and I would also add in, like, 
that part of you helped you survive. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot about life that made you feel like you wanted to gravitate towards fun and, you know, checking out a bit and being aligned with values that you didn't really choose for yourself, that society sort of like place places on all of us. Um, and so given those circumstances, I really think about at least those older parts of myself I see as being so helpful in having helped me like live up to this point and that moment where life changes drastically and you start to look at those parts of yourself and you're like oh thank you and I no longer need you in the same way mm-hmm. and so we can have you know I think that a lot of times people think about like spirituality or personal development work as like yeah like let's let's leave behind these old selves and it's like we're missing a big component of that, which is, can we have gratitude for those old parts? Because, you know, just even just on the superficial layer of like, you probably had a lot of fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people respond to. That's what people value. If I'm jumping up on the bar and singing karaoke, like everyone loves it. (laughs) Yeah. But no one loves hearing that I'm sitting in a NICU and crying every day, but both parts are true and both parts are necessary to get to the truth of who I am. Yeah. But yeah, so honoring those things, I I agree. Like, like some little kid learning a lesson, you're not going to rebuke them and judge them for like struggling Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. pulling off the bike. You're not going to say, let that part of you go. Like it has no value. (laughs) Right. Right. Of course. Of course. Valuable then. I just, I was still learning, and I still am. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's kind of like I know that you've you've told me this story before in session, um, and you know I've now been able to like watch Elizabeth like on your Instagram, and she's just like yeah. this vibrant, bouncing like a character oh. of a creature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's really hard for me to imagine her as like a tiny squirrel tucked into your shirt. She had the force then too, though. I mean, she wanted to be here. She came barreling into this world, you know, well before any of us thought she was ready. And the nurses in the NICU even would be like, she's got some sass. (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, (laughs) she's a little alien in the spaceship. Like, how can you tell? But they were totally right. I mean, she's her own person in a big way yeah yeah just out of curiosity do you ever talk to her about her birth story yeah I made a little book and with pictures and tried to write down all the nurses names and um you know because they were like saving her life all day long (laughs) every day for months um you know just to show her how strong she is because that's really what that whole thing showed me I was like holy shit I can do anything (laughs) if I can stand up for her and support her in a way that like I couldn't do for myself before. Like I really can go through anything and I would still wake up and get there and do everything that I needed to do to keep her healthy and safe. I mean, I guess she is, I hate to say the word she's a miracle baby, but like her picture's up in the NICU. She is. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What I love about that, too, is that, like, 
you don't shy away from the story. You know, I can see how um, a lot of parents feel scared to share that story with their kids or feel afraid or like still have their own emotions sort of wrapped up in the trauma of it. And so it doesn't feel like a safe place to like hold space for your kid. But, you know, what I'm hearing in your story is that there's there's, you know, obviously a lot of big T trauma in that, but also you were able to recognize the medicine that that moment was asking you to step into Mm -hmm. and contextualize it in a way that is true and empowering for Elizabeth. And so she gets to hold that story of like, I'm a fucking badass and I'm strong Mm -hmm. from the moment that I was born. And she gets to carry that through her life. I love that. And to see that like, it's okay to hurt and it's okay for mom to be afraid and struggle. Like, I'm not going to be fragile about parenting and saying that I'm getting it all right. Like, she's going to see and hear the stories of, like, how hard it is and how hard it was for me. Um, And how, you know, that makes it even, like, more worth it because the struggle is what got us here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you were able to slow down and sit with the like, oh, shoot, I have to take stock of my own life. And that was like a big reckoning when Elizabeth was born. And then Mm -hmm. I imagine that there was like a period of time where it was just like, I just got to keep the train moving, you know? Yeah. I mean, I will say there was like this big evolved period for those four months where I was in the thick of it that I could like see a lot of truth and I could access a lot of power and strength. And then when the struggle was done um, and I kind of floated back to the earth, uh, a lot of the same junk just came rushing to the surface, right? Like I wasn't ready to be a mom. I wasn't ready to leave my life um, by the beach running around from party to party. I wasn't, ready to sleep next to a baby every night. You know, I I just didn't feel like I had fully and consciously made the choice to be a mother, even though I was actively doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think it was, there was this tendency or this desire to go back to the way I was living, but it wasn't an option anymore. So I was sort of stuck in a purgatory. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I met Justin when she was one. And I cannot believe he like saw me and loved me in that place because I was a mess. <laughs> I mean, you know, coming off of a lot of trauma, definitely a lot of anxiety, still seeking that fun, like still looking for parties and then coming home to a baby. It was just, there was a lot of imbalance. Um, and then right around a year into my relationship with him was when I found you. I actually um, met with a doctor and was prescribed antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications within like a 45 minute conversation and had also heard your podcast for the first time the day prior. So you felt sort of out of reach for me. You felt like the part of me, you know, like when you watch lifestyle people online and think like, oh, I could never be like that. But what's really happening is the truest part of you is resonating with what you want. And I wanted truth and I wanted to take a hard look (laughs) who I was but it felt so out of reach um, yeah. 
But then I, I reached out to you and it happened so quickly. You were available, yeah. you took me on. It was just what I needed. Yeah. And honestly, like I resonated with your story like that. Mm -hmm. Like I don't say yes to every client who reaches out, um, especially now. I don't (laughs) um, I've reduced my one on one work a lot. But um, for me, your story is what captured me. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think what I find really interesting is for for so many of us, like and myself included, you know, the hardest part of the work is actually just like slowing down and looking at your stuff. And sometimes like you need an external person to just see you as Mm -hmm. you are. And I love that Justin has done that for you from the beginning. You know, he's like for all the ups and downs of every relationship that comes along, I feel like anytime you've talked about him, it's always been with this, like, almost like wonder of like, how does he continue to see me? And <laughs> I love that about your relationship. Yeah, he's so yeah. grounded and so loyal and so comfortable with himself that, um, you know, it gives you the space to do the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... You know, I think that for me, that's that's really all I feel like coaching is. It's like if I can just like simplify coaching <laughs> is um, a I was genuinely curious about who you were and like what your story was all about and how you got to the point of like reaching out and calling me. And then B, I just want to see people and I think that that's what coaching is is like this desire to see people as they are instead of with all the like conditions and stories and you know like survival strategies like layered on top it's like okay can we sort of safely peel back those layers Mm -hmm. and see who you are at the core because you know as you were saying earlier like that true self being within you all the time I think there's a lot of stuff out there that says oh you have to go out there to go seeking something external to yourself to find who you are Mm -hmm. you know that's why people end up jumping from you know practitioner to practitioner mentor to mentor you know different programs and you know ultimately if we can as coaches i'm sort of speaking to the like coaches who are listening to the podcast here Mm -hmm. is you know if we can empower the client to just realize that everything that they've been seeking out here in the world fully exists within you mm-hmm. then you know we can empower you to like make those choices for yourself and see how your life unfolds according to like your exact gifts and your exact constitution mm-hmm. because you're right like you haven't let go of the fun like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time I see you on Instagram, like I can see how much fun you're having with mm-hmm. this business and that's mm-hmm. become completely infused into your work. And yet there's a groundedness to it that didn't exist when you were living in LA and, mm-hmm. you know, having the fun in like a seeking and external sort of a way. Yeah. I, you were saying, you know, that you wanted to peel the layers and, and show 
and get the chance to see who I was. And at, at that point, like before I worked with you, I had not even done that. Like I had caught glimpses and I, I, I knew what it was to feel comfortable with myself, but that wasn't accessible. It wasn't like a choice I could make. It would just kind of come here and there. Um, but now I can like sit down and truly ask myself whether I am preparing a meal and about to feed myself, whether I am in a business meeting, making choices, um, whether I am in a partnership conversation and accessing intimacy, like I get, I get to choose in that moment. What are my needs? What do I really need here right now? Mm-hmm. You know, or am I overeating and someone else is choosing for me what my needs are? Am I letting the person in the business meeting take over and make me feel small because that's an easy place for me to go to? Am I projecting onto my partner? Like, if I don't sit first and assess what my needs are, then anyone else can take the wheel, any other part of me that's had power before. Mm. I want to, like, highlight investors <laughs> and, like, like, sparkle letters what you just said. So you peeled back um, yes. some layers and showed me how to ask myself those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I want to circle back to something that you said earlier, which is important too, is, you know, we all are going to continue to have these grooves because they've been there since childhood. And so like you were saying, you know, feeling small is like an easy place for me to go to, mm-hmm. you know, that, doing this kind of work, doing the personal development work doesn't mean that that small feeling is just completely banished and goes away forever and ever and ever. Probably no. Yeah. Still there. <laughs> I wish it was like that for all of us. Yeah. But what you're saying here is you're able to sit with it and decide and you can sort of look at it with a different perspective of like, oh, like, where is this coming from? And oftentimes I would ask you, you know, where does this live in your body? And oftentimes it would go back to a childhood experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I invite, you know, all of my listeners to do is um, as you sit with these experiences, you know, think about, okay, so let's do a quick body scan. Let's see where it feels like in the body. And then from that place, what is that like sensation? What's the physical sensation with it? Then how old is that feeling? And oftentimes, you know, I'm just going to use your example of feeling small. That feeling small sensation goes back to a previous story in your childhood. And so then we get to like talk to, let's say, the three-year-old who really felt small because of a particular experience and let that three-year-old know, hey, you don't have to sit in the the driver's seat of the bus anymore. Mm-hmm. And in that process, that perspective taking makes it so that you actually have a choice in whether you feel small or you can step up and say, okay, I'm going to feel empowered in this moment and I'm going to speak up where Mm -hmm. I previously haven't spoken up. And there's something about linking it back to what we're talking about with honoring the person you were, like that little uh, three-year-old doesn't get kicked off the bus. They're just not driving. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You acknowledge that they're there and you have compassion for that part of yourself and you don't shame yourself for it because of course it's what got you here. It's just not, just the minute you acknowledge who that is and how that happened, even if you don't get to the root of where or why it happened, you you take the power back. Step into your own power. 
Yeah, that's an important part of it. It's like the three-year-old doesn't get kicked to the curb. It's, yeah. <laughs> they just don't get to sit in the driver's seat anymore. <laughs> yeah, we still have to love her. <laughs> yeah. Even though they're like the hardest parts of ourselves to look at and love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Now that we're on this side of you know, you being a successful entrepreneur, your business is almost a year. A year. Yeah, it's a year um, in just a couple weeks. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're just coming up on that year mark. Mm-hmm. What kind of fears do you think you had to process and integrate before you could start saying yes to the opportunities that started coming your way? Oh, my goodness. Um, it just feels like there are so many and they continue to present themselves, right? And I, and it's like, at first, when I decided to say yes to this opportunity, I was so filled with fear, and I felt so small, and not very capable. Because everything I've done in this industry, (laughs) you know, you kind of start small, and you learn, and you're not typically offered a lot of like, Grace. It's a kind of a fear-based industry and fine dining and wine sales and who knows more and competition. There wasn't a lot of like places for me, granted a few, a few places where I was able to learn in a, in a safe and healthy way. But really like, I feel like I was constantly trying to prove myself. So even when I'm alone in that food truck, um, writing my own menu and selling the wine that I love, I'm still apologizing to myself or to whoever I think is looking at me and there's no one there. Um, so it's like catching that and honoring it. Like, yep, you did have to do that for a long time. You did have to kind of watch your back and make sure you were smiling at the right time and whatever. But now it's like, it's my home and I've built this space for people to come and feel the joy that I feel around this service, yeah. which is like, I'm going to toast your baguette perfectly. It's going to have the right amount of garlic oil and you're going to get a beautiful sage infused English cheddar paired with like the most gorgeous on you know, and that is really fun <laughs> for me to offer you. <laughs> and that's authentic, yeah. but I have to usually work through some shit to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that again, like I love, like being able to pause in these moments because what you're speaking to is this hierarchical system Mm -hmm. that we all we're just surrounded by all the time. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and I've also been in the food industry, not to the extent that you have, but you're right. There is this sort of spoken and unspoken system of good, better, best, you know, and who's in the know. And Mm -hmm. to me, like, it feels like a microcosm of the macrocosm of just the bigger systems that we live in. And everyone's climbing the same ladder. (laughs) I don't even want to play that game anymore. But (laughs) and so what I'm hearing and honoring in your story is that you've pulled yourself out of that ladder. And the way that, you know, you are with your people generally Um, socially as well as like with your business is like we're all here to have a good time and there's no like good better best in this Mm -hmm. situation there's no like 
you know, patriarchal or, um, you know, cause I also have friends who are in like the, like very highfalutin, um, sommelier work mm-hmm. and there's, there's an inaccessibility to it, you know, and, um, for you, it's like, yes, let's, let's pour some amazing wines and they're going to be super high quality, but it's accessible for anyone to come and, you know, have a moment in the sunshine and, you know, have it with some really lovely cheese and baguettes. Yeah. And, and... Like you don't have to prove yourself to ask a question. You don't have to yeah. be big and important to tell me how you went to France and had this really unique experience with the farmer and sat in his house and sipped wine. Like yeah. those are the, I want to see, like you said, I want to see who people are. And like wine is yeah. just one of the venues or the, the, the ways of getting there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we all choose our tools to get there. Like mine happens to be coaching and yours happens to be Thank wine. God. They're valid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mine's wine. <laughs> yeah. Guess what else wine does. It makes you tipsy and silly. Like, yeah. and needs extreme balance. Like mm-hmm. it needs to be honored too, just like all the stuff we're talking about. Like, yeah, you can treat it with the same respect. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that um, it's worth just noting and sharing a bit of my own history, which is like I struggled with alcohol for a very long time, mm-hmm. and you know, I went through, you know, a bit of a fun seeking period in my life and a lot of that revolved around drinking in excess and then and then beyond that it was also drinking and hiding my drinking so it was like wine and alcohol and beer was for all the good times but it was also for all the bad times mm-hmm. and I had to take a break from drinking for three years and for me, it was like that hard stop. Like I needed to have that hard stop, that hard slowdown. Mm-hmm. And now um, what I'm realizing is addictions are not just about the substance. It's like, you know, if it I went through the three years, but I would struggle with smoking pot or I would shop too much mm-hmm. or I would, you know, so it was just like mm-hmm. playing whack-a-mole with all these different sort of modalities Mm -hmm. and now I think that having done so much work to uncover what's at the root of the alcoholic and just the addictive tendencies um, I have a much more balanced relationship with alcohol where it's like it is I get to sort of access that fun part Mm -hmm. and it can be done with balance and it can be done with consciousness and so I feel like that's important to name is like as we talk about alcohol which can be a tricky subject for for some folks Mm um naming that you know alcohol just like any other thing out there is not just like a black and white good or bad sort of a thing yeah you know it it reminded me of a lot of what I was saying before about whether I sit down to eat a meal or step into a conversation with my partner or sit down in front of a bottle of wine like who holds the power what part of me is assessing my needs there and as you drink more it's harder to access that consciousness 
you know, those limits, yeah. I feel like mine are kind of changing every day and I'm still learning what, what's good for me and what's good for me isn't the same day to day. Yeah, um, absolutely. It is, it is a unique challenge to be putting myself in the way of almost every day when I'm there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel the same way about food. I feel the same way about yeah. watching TV. Like it's either a conscious choice or it's meeting a need quietly that I don't see happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that sort of like to circle back to the part of our conversation where we're saying, you know, you don't ever get to the top of the mountain. You're like, I am fully (laughs) like, you know, free of anything. And, you know, there are still days when I know that if I sit down and have a glass of wine, that glass of wine can turn into seven or eight drinks. Mm -hmm. And um, the the choice that I make, that conscious choice that I make in that moment is to not have that first glass of wine Mm -hmm. because I know that it's going to be harder and harder to control and access that consciousness with each subsequent glass. Yeah. Um, and so this is where I get to sit in my, you know, sit in the bus with all of the different parts of me and be like, okay, so which part of you really wants to have eight glasses of wine tonight? Right. And then we get to talk with that person, that part of me. And I, as my true self, will still hold the wheel of the bus mm-hmm. while having the conversation. Most of the time it goes back to a 16-year-old version of me when it comes to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I get to sit and have that conversation with that 16-year-old and honor her and acknowledge that, like, 16 was really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. I know that, like, alcohol was really helpful at that time and we're not in the same situation anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Which has also taught me to set healthy boundaries for myself not like rules, steadfast things that will like bring me shame if I don't do them. But like you said, if I'm choosing to not sit down with that first glass of wine right now, it's protecting future me. So I'm like learning what those boundaries look like for me. Like when it comes to depression, even I've found that I can't watch TV in the middle of the day. Like Mm. if I sit down to do that, I'm making a choice to disappear and I will probably be gone for a while, (laughs) you know? But I can sit down at the end of the night and watch TV, no problem. It doesn't really hold the same power. Um, I'm not sure why, but it's just a new boundary I discovered by sitting and asking myself those questions, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in a way, like, when we're doing that, we're reparenting ourselves, Mm. you know, in the same ways that, like, you probably have to hold boundaries for Elizabeth because you know a little bit more about life um, and... And in order to keep her safe, you can set a boundary while acknowledging her desire and her feelings around why she wants to do that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that we all could use a bit of reparenting of ourselves with the same sort of compassion that you would hold for your own child. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so much harder to access, um, because like you look at Elizabeth and it's, it's like, of course, like mm-hmm. you're adorable. And of course, it's easy to have compassion for you. And it's just a little harder to do that, harder to do that with ourselves because we don't see the like screaming four year old within ourselves mm-hmm. so readily. Yeah, just the drilled in narrative with like really harsh self-talk that I would never say aloud to any other person, but I say so easily to myself, you know. 
it's the kind of thing I, I really want to catch now and try to learn how to do differently, even though it's so ingrained and so hard and so a part of the way I live my life, because those are the things that catch up with me when I am parenting my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the same things that trigger me are going to trigger me in her behavior and she's not yeah. doing anything wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, um, I'm going to throw out a book recommendation here because I've just started it and I'm totally like entrenched in it. Um, it's called Good Enough by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Dr. Becky, oh, I love her so much. Do you love her? <laughs> oh, oh so my much. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, her book is amazing. And even as somebody who is not planning on having children, I like... I I love her book because it walks you through like exact scenarios that I think that parents go through Mm -hmm. and then the reframe of like how we can approach that differently. And to me, it's like, I'm using those prompts as like ways to reparent myself and invite other people to reparent themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. When you're looking at a scenario, she uses that term, um, the most generous interpretation. Right. Do you think a four-year-old is trying to manipulate you like in a nasty way? Or do you think they're just trying to like learn (laughs) what it takes to get what they want? (laughs) You know, like you see to have a need met. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Mm. her podcast is good inside. Like you just, it's like believing and trusting that they're good. And that falls in hand in hand with um, trusting that you're good. Yeah. Maybe her book is also called good inside. Yeah, I mean, I, think I called I think it good enough. One, but... <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I knew it's good enough or good inside. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, for sure, 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh huh. And, you know, like to sort of take that analogy a little bit further, you know, is the four year old in you, is she trying to manipulate or is she also someone who's trying to get a need met and has learned that this is a, a, avenue to get a need met Mm -hmm. and so when we hold that sort of you know best um best possible Mm -hmm. uh intentions mindset then we can hold compassion for ourselves differently yeah it, it does transcend because when i can see myself as a good and trustworthy person i will walk into target and trust people more like I'll look around and be reminded like no one's trying to actively hurt me here like I don't need to protect myself I don't need to engage in a way that I'm trying to keep myself safe I can like look up and make eye contact and grab that door for someone you know and engage in a healthier way yeah yeah if it's not an automatic door at Target (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and this work ripples beyond right like you know, we started out working together because you were struggling with anxiety and depression. And, you know, in working through that and allowing yourself to be seen and also seeing yourself through that process, um, like I would have never, like that wasn't something that I was like, okay, by the end of this, Kristen's going to get a, you know, a wine truck and she's going to be you know, this, this successful entrepreneur, but that's what happens when we, sorry, I get so excited and like cut off your sentences. No, do it. (laughs) What's everything? (laughs) Everything. Like it was like, 
I was struggling in my relationship. I was struggling with parenting. I was struggling with knowing what to do with my life. And then it was like, bam, Elizabeth's safe. And I feel aligned with her. Bam, my, my boyfriend proposed. Like, I have a fiance now. Like, everyone around me felt safer when I felt safer, right? And then this business opportunity presented itself. I got to really take off, like running, because I wasn't putting roadblocks up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, it's like my, um, my Tao, my purpose, my sort of like compass that guides me along my journey is this word surrender, And I find that when I surrender into process with clients, you know, I come from a medical industry and so a lot of it is very prescriptive and this is how you do things and then this is the end result that we're expecting. And I found more and more with my coaching, as I just surrender and allow people to just be in their own process and to provide that safe space for them, like stuff starts opening up that we could have never imagined. Like Mm -hmm. we could have never imagined the, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things that have opened up in your life. And, um, and I just, I just love being able to like sit back and watch and witness and be here and, you know, just sort of be in that process with you. I'll look back at some of my journals then and like my more struggling moments when like, Everything up felt bleak, bleak, but I could write down things that I wanted. And I would just be like, I want a job where I can do what I want. I want wine. I want travel. I want sunshine. Like, I want foreign language. You know, I want art. And it, it, I could not have painted a career that more a- adequately meets all of those needs. Like, I get to sell wine out of a food truck and sell whatever I want and I have a staff that I like value and love so much it just like all unfolded in a way that I never could have asked for and I and still I did ask for it (laughs) yeah and it's like it's such a creative process for you like I can see your creativity and see how much fun you're having with it cool yeah I I am it feels like um all I have to do is just like say what I want and then I can have it <laughs> but it has to come from that place of like authentically trusting myself yeah yeah um you've mentioned this a couple of times so I think it's worth like sort of diving into it a little bit is um saying what you want saying what you need mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with just that very first step you know, and oftentimes when I work with folks who are people pleasers or folks who run into the fawn response as like their first strategy to, to help people like them, um, there's an inability to say what you want and need. And then that's also coupled with being able to say, um, I feel like the first part's of like that waking up is being able to say, no, mm-hmm. no, this is not what I want. No, this mm-hmm. is not what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious about what your process has been like in reclaiming, like, this is what I want and this is what I need and doing it in an, in an unapologetic way. I don't know if yeah. that's the right word there, but um, yeah. 
No, you're completely right. And um, the, my previous approach to getting anything in life was to getting people, um, getting people's approval. And my value was and oftentimes is upheld by like how much I can get people to fall in love with me. Um, so I need to be aware of that when I am assessing these needs and see where the need is coming from. So it, it is like all the same stuff we're talking about. It's like, can I get still enough to ask for the thing that brings me the most truth in the moment, the thing that mm. brings me alive the most? Or is it the part of me that's trying to get and please and, 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 and prove myself? You know, mm -hmm. assessing the need is the hardest part because that's where it all stems from. Yeah. Um, usually it's journaling and I, I hate to say there's like one modality that gets me truth but journaling will always bring me back to myself um, you know there's a way that I journal where I will like write out all my concerns and fears and it's almost like the ego part of me just you know throwing up onto the paper and then I'll turn the page and I will sit and I will try to access the parts of me that I believe already know the answers and that, I know that's not like a very black and white way to do it, but it's true. You just close your eyes and breathe and trust yourself. Right. And then mm -hmm. new things come onto the paper that I, that I even uh, realized were there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's like, like almost like you're having the conversation on the bus in real time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'll go back and read it from years ago. And those things are still true for me, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I can't trust myself. I can sit down in front of a challenge and say, I know what I need here. It's, it's just like getting to that point is probably the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face, especially when we're in service work, you know, is our work is meeting the needs of other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a beautiful skill to have. It's like one of our superpowers is like we can walk into a room generally and assess and be like, okay, like I know what everyone in this room needs. Mm -hmm. um, and it can also be our kryptonite in that when we're so busy making sure that everyone else's needs are met, then we forget to ask ourselves what our needs are. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to a successful business, our needs need, need to be met first mm -hmm. so that we can pour from an abundant cup and allow for that service to flow out in a really genuine and authentic and generous way instead of from a way where like we're seeking validation or we mm -hmm. want to get loved or we want, you know, some sort of, you know, ego driven need, it mm -hmm. then becomes a relationship of reciprocity between provider and receiver. Completely. I will say that I certainly see the difference. And what I am finding one of my needs to be is like, I don't know how to word it, but like when you see someone else shine, um, when you're able to like connect in an authentic way with a stranger, uh, it's like like letting someone come to the window of the of the wine truck and tell me their story of their time in France, or bringing out like an extra plate of food just on the house and topping off everyone's wine because like I value them being there. Or letting an employee maybe host one of the wine tastings. Like, letting other people shine uh, 
helps me shine. Yeah. There's something really authentic about that. And everyone really craves that interaction. You know, it benefits yeah. mutually beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if I could put a word to it, it's just connection, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in a world, especially in the service work where, um, I don't know, like it can just feel like a very transactional relationship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, the server brings you your food. They fill up your wine glass. You know, you pay the bill at the end of the night. And there's never this, like, sense of connection. Mm-hmm. But when, I mean, as human beings, we're all seeking that that connection that, like, we're social animals. Of course we are, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you can provide that in the work that you do, which is wine like Mm -hmm. again like this is your modality (laughs) of like doing your work Mm -hmm. um then it brings in a different flavor that is a bit rare you know Mm -hmm. um like my my honey and i just moved to spokane washington and Mm -hmm. like the restaurants here are like not great oh no (laughs) (laughs) but there's this one Italian restaurant um, that we really like going to like the food is actually pretty decent but like the setting's not great but like there's like one waitress Mm. and she remembers us like every time her name is Carol she's been like working at this restaurant for like 26 years she's adorable Mm. and like I I honestly feel like half the reason why we go to this restaurant is because of Carol (laughs) for sure the stories that connect us yeah I mean even when I'm most of my marketing is done for free on Instagram. You know, I'm still working out my website and figuring out how I want to do all of that technically. But when I am even a little bit vulnerable, um, when I share a little bit of my story, when I express gratitude and show my face, the response is exponentially larger. People want to connect. You're right. It it is what makes the experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited that you shared your story here then because I'm, you know, hoping that it goes out to your community and that they get to sort of hear how much this business means to you and how much work that you've had to do on the back end, not just in the business, but in your personal world to like bring this little business baby into (laughs) the world and now grow it up into a toddler. Yeah, it does feel very vulnerable and scary to say the things you know, that I used to carry a lot of shame around. Um, But ultimately, like, yeah, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have those struggles. And a lot like that, building the business, the work happened before the business even started. Like, once the business started, it actually flowed in a much easier way than a lot of jobs I've ever had. (laughs) But, like, the struggle and strife before is, I think, what paved the way for that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's exactly why I say that business is a spiritual practice is Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're going to be asked and you're going to be confronted and you're going to be invited into doing this like deep, hard work um, in order for the business to thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of times people go into business thinking, oh, this is very logical and it's very nuts and bolts. And we don't really recognize that sometimes like that three-year-old, that 16-year-old is sitting in the driver's seat of the bus and we got to talk them off the ledge sometimes. Yeah. Who do you want making your spreadsheet? (laughs) (laughs) The three-year-old? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, and 
you know, sometimes the three-year-old's the one who's making these decisions around staffing because they want to be liked and loved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like we really have to do this work so that we're making our businesses conscious and, Mm -hmm. and pulling them out of this like unconscious space where we're running things from our, our wounds. Yeah. It's it's so different than anything else I'm doing. It's it's what, how am I in relationship with myself and how am I going to show up to this business or this person, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, it ripples out into like every aspect of your life, not just business world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This this has been great. It came out very concise, didn't it? (laughs) It felt good. I know. Like at first you were like, how are we going to thread all these little pieces together? And then (laughs) it all came together somehow. Felt flowy and nice. I appreciate you so much. I mean, our work together, obviously, like I, I tell everyone that it changed my life, but like, it showed me that like what my life was really already, you know? Yeah. And you know, like, I, I love that, like, you've developed this capacity to, like, invite in this deep, rich life. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's just so nice catching up. And it's so <laughs> wonderful being here with you. And I appreciate you. And it feels like pretty full circle because you yeah. started out, you know, listening to my podcast. And now you're on the podcast. And, you know, so crazy. <laughs> You were like, like my unofficial first business client. And, um, and now that's what I do for work. And you are my, like, I guess my first case study. This is my first case study, y'all. I'm glad (laughs) it was mutually beneficial. You were just helping me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, of course, it's like a a reciprocal relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like, same way that you are with your clients. There's a reciprocity there. Mm -hmm. And there's a reciprocity with me and my clients too. So totally, totally. I mean, anyone who gets the chance to work with you, I, I, I'm just so excited for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dear, this is the part of the conversation where I invite you to share all of the pieces of internet addresses so that people can find you. Yes, that would be a good thing to do. Um, we're so still such a baby business, but we do offer like catering and private events and sommelier guided tastings. So pretty much where I'm doing everything is just on Instagram at the moment. Our website is yeah. still under construction. So it's Moiselle as in Mademoiselle, M-O-I-S-E-L-L-E-P-H-X. That's our Instagram handle. Awesome. And this is like the only time I've been able to be like, where are you in the world? Like a physical location because everyone I talk to is in the virtual world. So right. we're in Phoenix. Um, whereabouts in Phoenix? Downtown Phoenix, like right in the heart, um, just off what's known as Roosevelt Row, where there's like a big art district event awesome. space. Yeah. And so if you are flowing through Phoenix or if you are based in Phoenix, go check out Kristen and her adorable wine truck. Oh, it's all housed at the Pemberton, I should say that. The Pemberton is what you would want to look up. (laughs) It's a a historic (laughs) house surrounded by food trucks and the business itself. It's called Pemberton. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Pemberton is kind of like this like outdoor space where there's like a bunch of different businesses from mm-hmm. what I gather. Tons yeah. of retail. There's a sex positive sex shop called Peaches. There's a crystal shop and tacos, hibachi, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like adult me Disneyland. Playland. Um, it's playtime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, go check out uh, Kristen in Phoenix if you're ever in the area. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, girl. <laughs> I love this so much. Thank you. Oh, oh, I love this too. And I love you, my friend. I love you. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.